Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Becker's Facilities. High pressure washing, facility maintenance, builders clean and commercial sanitization. They do it all. Check them out at beckersfacilities.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we are joined by Melbourne United basketball championship coach, Dean Vickerman. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. How are you? Doing well, mate. Doing well. It's been, uh, been a tough little time, but um, we're getting through it and starting to come out the other side, so I'm doing okay. Certainly has. Can you tell us about your childhood and what um, your family was like growing up? Yeah, grew up in, um, in Warrigal or just outside of Warrigal. And um, so we had a dairy farm and grew up with uh, 120 head of cattle that we, that we milked twice a day. And um, my parents were school teachers as well. So, you know, they'd milk in the morning, teach all day and then milk at night. And um, so, yeah, it was a pretty busy lifestyle. Um, and they were... Um, they were great in once my me and my sister got good at sport in um, really changing the farm and um, turning it into more of a into more beef cattle and different <laughs> things and stuff like that. So, you know, both my, me and my sister had some interest in in the farm, but neither of us really wanted to to be farmers. And um, so, I enjoyed driving tractors and doing harvest season and different things like that, but I wasn't too much into the, the blood and guts of, of death and um, carving and all those kind of parts of farming that um, other people I'm sure enjoy, but uh, it wasn't really for me. So yeah, busy, but I enjoyed being on the farm, loved having the open spaces and uh, certainly it drew me to basketball. Once I got my own hoop that I could really practice and practice and practice and um, you know, it was a great outlet for me. Can you tell us about um, your experience in playing for the Melbourne Tigers over your career? Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to to play with the junior program at the Tigers and played my 16s and 18s and under 20s over there. And, um, you know, had some amazing coaches. Lindsay Gaze was my first coach at the Tigers. Um, then I had his, his brother, Tony Gaze, and then had um, uh, Brett Brown was my, my other coach there. And... Um, you know, shout out to Brett Brown. Obviously, it didn't, didn't quite work out with the 76ers uh, yep. for him. But, uh, you know, he took that thing a long ways and, um, you know, got him to, to the playoffs over the last few years. So, did a great job. Um, yeah, and then got to play. I think I played 16, 17 games for the Tigers in the NBL. And, um, you know, my first ever game, um, Andrew Gaze got some blood clots. Um, I was still in high school and so we got the opportunity to uh, travel over to Perth and be a part of the team when, when Andrew was uh, a little bit sick. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was my first game that I ever got to – or first road trip I ever got to go on. Was there any pressure on you there, filling big shoes of Andrew Gaze? <laughs> no, I never, I never thought I was certainly going to play his role. Um, but, you know, it was great to just – uh, come through the program, um, get the opportunity to train with the senior team, and then uh, to you know to get on the roster and um, you know play a few games. But um, I always thought fairly early on that I, I'd probably do better at coaching than I did as a player. 
after your playing career, you were the development officer at um, Victoria Basketball and then the coaching director at Geelong. How do you think these situations and positions got you ready for your future in coaching? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Lindsay again gave me a, a job with Basketball Victoria um, and I was really appreciative of that. And a big part of that job was, was getting out to primary schools and running clinics and... Um, you know, running the hoop time competition, you know, with the primary schools. And so, you, you know, there was those two development paths there. There was some admin work of running a tournament day um, and dealing with the sponsors of, of the program as well. Um, and then there was the, the coaching side of getting out to schools and teaching fundamentals and, and really having kids um, enjoy the game. Going down to Geelong, you know, it was then you start to deal with, um, a general manager, you start to deal with a board, you start to deal with a lot of different clubs and, and so there's also that other side about you know, how you connect to a lot of different people, it's not just the, the, the rep teams and the kids that were within your program, there's all these other outside influences that um, you need to be able to connect with and get your message across to, so um, I think all those um, or those two jobs especially shaped me well in, the, in teaching the fundamentals of the game, but also um, some of the admin and relationship building that you need to do as a coach. Between 97 and 01, you were the assistant coach at the North Melbourne Giants and the Sydney Panthers and then head at Rockhampton Rockets. Um, how, did it take you long to adjust to each of those clubs' cultures and what's it like moving clubs like every few years? Yeah, you know, I got the opportunity to... Um, with the uh, North Melbourne Giants and again, Brett Brown was the head coach there and um, only there for the one year uh, before that, um, you know, before that club went broke and um, yeah. disbanded. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. You know, you, you kind of didn't see it coming and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't have a job. And I was fortunate enough that Ian Stacker was on that staff as well. And he took a, he took a job up in Townsville and he called me and said, there's a, a job in Rockhampton and coaching in the state league up there. And um, yeah, I thought it was a good opportunity. So I jumped in my car, drove all the way up to, to <laughs> central Queensland and, and spent two good years up there where we um, able to make the playoffs and, um, you know, started to realize just how big Queensland is. It was a, as a league that we didn't, we didn't really fly anywhere. So um, go to Mackay. It was about three and a half hours by bus. And that was our closest game. You know, we <laughs> travel eight, nine hours down to Brisbane. We travel, you know, 13, 14 hours up to Cairns and Townsville. And Burdekin was a team in the league back then. So, yeah, you start to understand how tough some of those road trips are. Um, traveling on the bus with the girls' team as well. And a um, lot of fun times. But, yeah. It was, it was certainly draining uh, some, of, some of those road trips. In 2002, you coached the Wellington Saints before walking out on the club in 2003. What impacted your decision and um, what do you think you've learnt from that experience? Yeah, and I'll go back one because I didn't mention it. You know, I got the opportunity when I was in Sydney uh, to work for the Kings and um, to coach with the women's team. You know, I really enjoyed going to both Brett Brown's practices and Tom Maher's practices um, when I was uh, living in Sydney. And um, Tom got a job in the WNBA, uh, which allowed me to become on 
as an assistant coach with that team. And, um, you know, my only girls team I've ever um, coached with and, um, you know, fantastic uh, to win a championship uh, in that year and uh, have really fond memories of that one. Going over to Wellington, um, again, just a real step up in professionalism. I always wanted to coach in that league. And, um, you know, I came into a team that had just lost the championship and had, you know, probably five guys over 35 years old as well. So they really wanted to rebuild. And I think we got a little bit confused as a club about rebuilding and wanting to win straight away. And um, the next year I took on um, the general manager position and the head coach position and it was straining. It was tough to be able to do both yeah. and I wasn't ready for it. And so in that, I, I ended up jumping on a plane and, and coming back to Melbourne and, and really starting again. Um, 2004, you head coached the Melbourne Uni team in which you won the Big V title. How was it possible to win the championship? Can, t- can you tell us about the championship game? Yeah, I think we had a series against um, Southern Peninsula. Um, I thought we did a good job of being, you know, one of the top teams all year. And um, that was really enjoyable. You know, really fun walking into um, the Black Angels culture and, um, you know, a lot of the uni guys there just didn't really enjoy it and loved their hoops. You know, they really did. And, um, you know, we had a couple of teams trained together, the kind of the first team and the second team and uh, real competitive practices um, with probably at times 30 people on the court and trying to organise the kind of a, a, a good practice with that many people on the floor and being competitive and still getting what we want. And so, you know, we were lucky, lucky to bring a couple of guys in. Adrian Sturt was a, um, a young Melbourne Tigers player that we brought in and he went on to play some NBL games and had a good career in uh, playing in England as well. Um, Scotty Cuff was one of the best players in the league. Liam Norton went on to play a few NBL games as well. So we had we had good talent, but um, you know I thought that group uh, really bonded well together and had that um, you know kind of university feel and and enjoyed basketball on and off the floor. Not long after that um, Big V title, you joined the Tigers coaching staff for two seasons. What's it like to be part of a coaching group with Al Westover? And can you tell us about um, what it was like to be an assistant coach at Melbourne and about your role? Yeah, you know, I was fortunate enough to, when I come back to Melbourne to, to get those opportunities to uh, work with Melbourne Uni, um, to be able to attend uh, the Tigers practices. Um, I also worked with Danny on basketball. I was working with... Um, um, Mornington and you know I took a lot of a lot of jobs just to um, you know just to make a living at that time and and you know fortunately enough uh, when you know Lindsay I was there for his last year and and then you know really came on a on a good part-time role with our Westover in his first year and um, it was great you know it was really good Lindsay done such an amazing job and then Al had been there for so long to him he got his opportunity and brought Chris Anstey back into the mix. And, and, and once Chris kind of walked in and said, I'm not going to have a day off. I'm going to, I'm going to work to get this championship every day. And um, everybody followed and um, wow. you know, we're able to stop, um, you know, the Sydney Kings winning four championships in a row and uh, able to sweep them in the finals. And so uh, it was a lot of fun to be on that staff. Um, Al 
is a wonderful is a wonderful coach, and uh, he got the best out of that group that year. What's it like to sweep a team in the playoffs? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, they're all they're all tough games. Um, you're going against you know CJ Bruton and um, Jason Smith, and you know just some really tough competitors. You know, Australian level players and. That, that club, you know, winning three in a row had been amazing. And so, um, you know, both Al and Gorge had been best mates. And so they had their own little rivalry going against their best mates as coaches as well. And, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. You know, the, I don't think, you know, sweeping a team was, um, you know, th- that significant. You know, we just wanted to, to win it. And we had, we had a pretty good... Um, group that were really composed down the stretch and uh, Stephen Hoare and David Stiff and, and we were big, you know, we were one of, probably one of the yep. biggest teams that, that I'd ever coached, D-Mac at the point guard and uh, Rashad Tucker, you know, we, we just we had a lot of guys that were 6'6 six, six to 6'10 six, and you know, I think if you put that team back in our league right now, you know, they'd probably be the t- biggest team in the league by far. 06 and 07, you were with the Singapore Slingers, and in this time, you coached the um, Singapore national team. What does coaching a national team mean to you, and what was your favourite part of that role or job? Yeah, probably it was the bigger, it was one of the big attractions for me to, to go over there. Was I knew that international basketball was something that at some point I, I really wanted to get into, and um, to go over there and to start a franchise you know, in the NBL is like, I, I'm probably never going to have another opportunity to do this. Um, and so I'm going to grab it while the opportunity is there and had great respect for, for Gordy McLeod. And, um, and, and it was, it was fun, but a national team program as a carrot to say, you're going to get to coach a national team. Um, it was, I didn't know what I was walking into. I had my own philosophies about how I wanted to coach that team. And then once I got in there and, um, try to put my philosophies on the group, I understand that it just wasn't working. It just wasn't uh, clicking with the way that they play basketball. So I had to really learn and adjust and um, find a system that suited uh, the players that we had and the talents that we had. And, you know, and we got better over the, over the year. But there's a lot of challenges coaching the national team in Singapore. Um, you know, the parents didn't really see Basketball, they saw it as something that got in the way of schooling. Um, <laughs> they never saw, there was never a, a career path for basketball. So they never thought they could be a job for any of those guys. And, uh, and then they do national service. So, you know, you lose them and, you know, for a year where they go on and go into national service and, and um, you know, learn the skills that the country requires to them too if they, if they ever had to go to a war or, or something like that. So... Um, there's big challenges and I remember a player coming to me and saying coach um, I've got some exams coming up I'm going to I'm going to miss and in Australia you think yep he might miss a couple of practices or he might um, miss a week or something like that but three months he told me he's going to (laughs) needed to study hard for three months for his exams and so you know there was just a really different mindset about sport and I'm glad that the Singapore singers Slingers grew and they built a league over there and, and a lot of those kids started making some money playing basketball as well. So, um, you know, it was, it was a good stepping stone for Singapore basketball having that Slingers uh, in, the, in the NBL. You joined the Breakers in 2007 as an assistant coach. Can you tell us about how you got this position? 
Yeah, it was, there was some uncertainty about the Slingers, whether they were going to continue after our first year. Um, my wife was pregnant. She was from New Zealand. And then the opportunity of the assistant coach role came up over there. Um, I'd worked with Andre Lamanis um, when I was living in Geelong and working in Geelong. And um, yeah, it's quite a, one of the most extensive application processes that I'd ever done. There was a lot of personality tested, uh, tests, a lot of strength tests about your fit for the role. And, um, you know, very privileged to, to go ahead and get that position and, um, and to be able to work with Andre again. Between 2009 and 2011, as well as the Breakers, you coached the Waikato Pistons and were awarded, were, you were rewarded with Coach of the Year awards in 2009 and 2011. What does it feel like to receive, receive awards such as the, those special awards? Yeah, the Pistons was a lot of fun. And I think you know, it, was, it really helped my coaching was to be an assistant coach in the Australian NBL, but then be able to coach in the New Zealand NBL at the same time. So, you know, you could take some of the, a lot of the things that you loved about, um, you know, what Coach Lomanis was doing, and then you could add some of your own things and try things out. And um, so, yeah, got the opportunity to, to learn a lot um, and get ready to be a head coach in the, in the Australian NBL by, by taking that position. But, um, you know, it was, a, again, it was a challenge. You know, we uh, Waikato was uh, two hours from Auckland, and so you know, three, four times a week we we'd travel down for practice, travel back at night, not really stay down there. So uh, you know, a four-hour commute for a practice, and um, you know, a lot of guys, Tony Ronaldson, uh, Tom Abercrombie, Alex Pledger, you know, all of us guys were jumping in cars and driving down. So you know, formed some pretty good relationships uh, with those players uh, in our travel time. And, um, you know, got to see New Zealand as well and, and see the beautiful country that it was and, and travel around and, and a great development league for players. And tell us about the transition in 2013 at New Zealand from being an assistant coach to head. Yeah, massive challenge. The, the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, you know, we just won three championships in a row and, you know, I got the head coach job to try and help continue the success that we'd had and, and maintain and, and build the culture that was already uh, existing in that club. Um, yeah, we failed, you know, in my first year. And, and one of the reasons that we failed is, is that I probably didn't allow the team to, um, you know, be who I wanted them to be. I really wanted to try and just carry on the things that we did before. And so you got to, once you, once you take over a group, you got to let your personality come onto the group. And uh, it took me a year to kind of work that one out to work out the leadership side of, uh, of coaching the Australian NBL and work out the personalities, do a better job with recruiting the imports. Um, yeah. But fortunately you know, that next year we, we, we got better and we, we got back and were able to win the championship in that second year. Was that 2014-15 championship satisfying for you or did you just want to keep going and keep the ball rolling? Yeah, that no, was massive for me just to say, you know, you could have a failure and, and you're able to, to build it and take a lot of advice from people and instill it and um, put a group together that, um, you know, we're all focused in the, in the one direction about winning a championship. And, um, you know, when you, you look back at that one and we, 
we got 1.3 seconds left on the clock and we, we hit a game winner to win a championship. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those moments that um, is quite amazing and will live with me forever. Um, but really, I, when I took the job, I really um, said, you know, I want to do this for three years. And then um, the next part of it for me is to, to, is to have a, a Kiwi coach be ready to, to take over, you know, because we had uh, Andre and um, we've had a couple of, a couple of Australian coaches in before that as well and, and myself. And so it was a time for the development of the coaching side of it to, to be passed on to a, to a Kiwi. And, a, and I thought, um, you know, Paul Hinari and Judd Flavel, Judd Flavel were both ready and uh, you know, Paulie got the nod to take over the head coach role. So, yeah, I was satisfied with what I got to do as a head coach there and, and going to two grand finals, winning one championship and um, getting a coach ready to, to, to take over. After that, you became the assistant coach at Sydney alongside Leonard Copeland and Andrew Gaze. Can you tell us about what Gaze and Copeland are like and what it's like to work in, in company with them? Yeah, I mean, I, was, I really thought that my next coaching experience was going to be somewhere around the world. I didn't know if that was going to be in... I'd looked at Japan, I'd looked at a couple of different countries and, uh, and then Andrew rang me up and, and asked if I'd be interested in going to Sydney and, and uh, we had some family in Sydney as well and uh, what the Gaze family had done for me had been, you know, utterly amazing. So, you know, to assist Andrew in his, in his first year um, and then to know that Copes was going to be there as well and, you know, certainly in my playing days, um, you know, I was on a team with those two guys for a few years and uh, I loved their banter. I loved how they challenged each other. Uh, I loved their trust in each other as well. And um, it was great because they could say anything to each other um, and, you know, never be taken to heart. They just knew that either it was a joke or they were trying to make each other better. So uh, their banter in the coach's office is uh, something that, um, you know, I'll forever remember. What was your role like at Sydney and how could you impact the team? Um, yeah, I took on more of a defensive scouting role and tried to, tried to build our, our defence. Um, you know, on that team that year, we, we had a lot of guys that, you know, it wasn't their number one priority playing defence. And so, um, you know, we had, we had our challenges, you know, there with getting that group to be a really great defensive group. Um, you know, we had our challenges you know, with the personnel that we had as well, they didn't quite fit together. And so it was, it was a tough year in that regard. But, um, you know, we, we learned a lot, um, enjoyed it as a staff, loved living in Sydney by the beaches. It was a, it was a beautiful spot to live um, and happy that I got to help Andrew in his first year. You joined Melbourne United in early 2017 and a year later guided them to a championship with a star-studded team. Um, can you tell us about the week in the lead up to the fifth finals game and what that championship was like? Yeah, my memory of the leading into the fifth game um, was certainly straight after game four, you know, in the locker room when we're heading into game five. Um, sure if it was Chris or Josh or David Anderson, one of those guys, will, you know, just kind of grabbed the group and said, hey, you know, if we started the season and said, we're going to go home and, and play game five in front of our home fans, we all would have taken it. Let's, let's go and enjoy it and, um, and go and get it. And so, you know, we walked out of Adelaide, you know, feeling 
you know, even though we were disappointed about the loss over there, feeling like, hey, this is this is exactly what where we want to be and, and the situation that we want to put ourselves in is to win a championship at home in, in game five. Um, we needed the the time that we had from game four to game five because, uh, you know, Josh Boone was a little beaten up. We had a few yeah. little uh, injuries as well. So um, we got healthy, you know, right you know, the day before the game, it was, it was still questionable whether a few guys were going to be able to play. And, um, yeah, the guys put on an amazing performance. Um, what was that like to have Carrick there, Felix, Carrick Felix there as um, support for that fifth game as Casey Prather was just coming back in? Yeah, obviously, you know, a massive decision for the club and for the coaching staff and for everyone. Um, Carrick, when he joined the group, he, you know, we our winning percentage was amazing and he'd done such a filled a great role for us you know being a, an energy guy and a high level defender and an um, amazing athlete and, and just a, a bit of a glue guy um, but again once Casey was healthy and we saw him practice and did it consistently for a week or so um, we knew that we could we needed that extra uh, scoring punch if required at different times in the playoffs and uh, you know, he he really he was really stepped up. But the club did an amazing job in allowing Carrick uh, to stay for that period as well. You know, many other clubs would have you know saved the expense and put him on a plane and sent him home. But uh, we thought he was really important to the group, and um, you know, he he put together a number of uh, highlight films. Um, you know, even I'm trying to remember which game it was, but. You know, him getting out on the floor and Sobey and there was a clash out there and, um, you know, he was involved in it and, uh, you know, he just, he just wanted to win. And so, um, you know, we got, I think it was last year, we got to present him with a championship ring in, in Las Vegas um, because we, there wasn't one there at the time. So, you know, it was, it was a great reward for him. In the next two seasons, United made finals but couldn't bring home the championship. What mentality do you have going into um, 2021? Um, as considering the loss of big players like Sean Long and Mello? Yeah, it was, you know, there was losing the championship that next year um, where I thought we were good enough to repeat. And, but, you know, just it never been done. You know, just no one in Victoria has had the opportunity to, you know, really repeat. Um, and so it's something that hasn't been done for forever. And so we knew we were up against something, but um, Perth were amazing. Um, you know, in, in that in that final series, and both Tariko and Cotton were, were were outstanding, and we we was weren't good enough to be able to continue to keep scoring with them. Uh, yeah, last year we had our challenges. You know, we were up and down, and we had to really fight to go ahead and just make finals. Um, once we got there, we thought we were a chance to certainly a great chance to win it, and it wouldn't wouldn't have taken much more to to get over Sydney. But um, you know, when that season was finished, and we started to look at the next year. And then COVID hit, um, you know, we weren't in a position to um, sign Mello or Sean uh, back to a contract and we still haven't signed imports and we still may not for a while. Yep. So, um, you know, really happy that Mello jumped the level and has gone to the ACB. Um, you know, Sean's gone to South Korea and um, so their basketball journey continues and, and hopefully in their time at United that we were able to, um, you know, make them better uh, basketball players and, and hopefully they'll have fond memories of, uh, you know, playing for United. 
Yourself and the club recently signed um, Duke captain Jack White. What's your opinion on this decision and what potential do you think he has in the NBL? Yeah, I think as a club, you know, we, we hadn't really gone after um, elite players coming out of the college system because we were pretty loaded with, you know, imports and Australian level players and, and to, re- to recruit um, a high level college player, you really needed to have minutes for them. And this year um, we did, you know, going back to two imports, um, you know, not having too many players signed to our roster, we had the opportunity to, to really build, you know, for the future. And, and we felt uh, Jack not only being a Victorian, but a, a big country kid like myself um, and having great leadership qualities as well, being the captain of Duke for, for two years and being able to um, lead, you know, players like Zion and RJ Barrett and, you know, those kind of players that we knew that we were getting something really special. And so we signed him to a long-term deal and, you know, we think that over time uh, he can certainly be the captain of, of United. Um, hopefully we can keep him here for a long time, but, you know, he has bigger goals as well. He has goals to challenge for uh, the national team, to, to is he, is, can he be a role player in the NBA? You know, is there a high level Europe they can get to as well? But we certainly want to be a, a big step in that path for, for him to advance as far as he can in basketball. The club recently just re-signed Chris Golding on a three-year deal. How big is that and what is Chris like both on and off the court? Yeah, um, massive. You know, he's, um, again, he was the grand final MVP and, you know, he's been um, shown on the world stage that he's one of the most elite shooters on um, national team program and even in the NBA games when we... We took him over there and, you know, he showed that he can score, you know, with an open space and that kind of game that give him room to shoot and, and he's, he's right up there in the world. And where uh, the game's going to these days, shooting is such a premium that uh, we felt he was, he was certainly the best shooter um, in, our, in our league, you know, right up there with Cotton and, and some other yep. guys as well. But... Um, we wanted, to, we wanted to retain him. We knew it wasn't going to be easy and it was going to take some time, uh, but we stayed in communication with him and um, you know, he had some opportunities to go to Europe, but um, very fortunate that we, we've got him locked in for three years and um, you know, he's going to um, help others get better as well. He's going to really help Jack White be a better leader and a, and a, and a future leader of our club. And so not only is he going to lead, but he's going to help develop others to, to, to take some of his load in time to come. And um, so it's a critical piece for us to, to re-sign him. What type of drills do you players do at training? Yeah, um, you know, depending on what day it is, there's, we have a focus on um, individual development. So we try and get that in before and after practices. Um, we call them the vitamins. So, you know, you've got to take your daily vitamins to, to stay healthy and just like your game, your game needs vitamins as well. So work on your skills before practice. And uh, we were lucky to have Ross McGrains uh, really lead our vitamins program this year. Um, so yeah, a lot of individual work there, everyone working on the things that are specific to them um, and their game and the things that they want to get better at. Um, and then we get into team practice and, 
Nick Popovich, our strength and conditioning coach, has already worked with him in the gym and got him on the floor and takes him for 15 minutes worth of uh, conditioning and footwork. We're a strong believer in, um, you know, working on your footwork and agility every day for the style of play and the defensive team that we wanted to be. Um, and then we'll really just build it up into situations, whether that be three on three. We like to play a lot of three on three. Um, and then we build up into five on five scenarios. And, um, you yeah, know, we like to play a fair bit of practice. We really like to um, get out there and, and compete. And, um, you know, we have a bit of a rule that if you can't be a, go 100%, that you just got to go out on the other floor and um, do something to get better. But we, we like to go at 100%. No, no time do we go three on three or five on five where, um, you know, we're not going at game intensity. And we feel like we build a consistency by doing that um, continually every day. Can you take us through your weekly schedule if you were in the middle of a season? Yeah, if we played a game on Saturday night and we're preparing for another game the next Saturday, um, you know, we, we like to take the day off after the game if on, a, on a long week like that. Um, so the first day that we'd come back on a Monday, you know, we really, it's really a, a what you need day. So we look at all the individual requirements of everybody. Um, some people might have played 40 minutes or 36 minutes and they, their body just needs massage and some shots. Some guys only played five minutes or didn't play at all and they need a good, you know, one hour workout. So a really yeah. individual tailored day on the, on the Monday. Um, we'd certainly do a review, uh, video review of the, of the game as well. And all players would get through their individual edits um, with a coach and make sure they got the feedback required to try and get better for the next week. Tuesday and Thursday are our main practice days and we take the, the Wednesday off, but both of those are heavily loaded towards scouting. 60% of the practice would be um, f focused on on our defence and then into a, into half of Thursday and, and most of Friday, uh, really how we want to attack and how we want to the opportunities that we see for uh, getting the, the best shots possible against our opponent and um, yeah, short shoot around on the Saturday and a bit of fun and clarity uh, about going into the game and how, how, how we think we're going to have an advantage. I understand you have two kids um, and a family. What's it like managing being a coach and then on the other side, managing your family? Yeah. You know, um, you know, basketball is one of those sports that, um, you know, family can be involved and my, my daughters and my son, they all, all enjoy, um, you know, getting to the games and, and watching. Um, there's a good network of the wives and partners that, uh, you know, get together at a game and it's a, it's a good social event um, for them as well. Um, my wife was a player, so she understands basketball and understands, you know, team sport. And I think that really helped. Um, you know, trying to be able to do both and she recognises if I'm grumpy after a tough game or she, I'm excited after a good win or um, <laughs> she understands those emotions and, stay, and able to keep pretty calm. So, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's always challenging being on the road a fair bit with your, with your family at home. And so, um, you know, we try and get back off road trips as, as quick as we can to, to make sure we spend time with the family. What do you look for in a player before signing them to United? Yeah, you know, the, 
obviously talent is a is a massive one, but you know we've really um, streamlined our approach to how we recruit, and certainly players have to fit um, the culture of the club, and that's 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 the most important thing. If once they get past the culture fit, then we can really look at um, you know the things that they can offer us on the floor as well. So um, spending a lot more time with getting more information about people um, and how they would fit our group. You know, last year we went, we went a little different. We went a little rogue in, in that regard to say, you know, both Mello and Sean um, were two of the most talented guys in the league, but in some ways, you know, their personalities and um, their fit for the club wasn't absolutely perfect. So um, we can do a little bit better job in making sure we get um, perfect fit for that complement all our Australians and you know the best imports that have ever come to our league have been guys who make others better as well and they're the ones that have lasted a, a long long time and um, you know fortunate enough to have a, a Cedric Jackson in New Zealand that was could take over a game but um, certainly make others better you know Daryl McDonald at the Tigers and these kind of guys um, you know really really bought into the Australian culture um, and made players around them better, which is, which is what you need to do as an import. What would be your advice to anyone wanting to become a basketball coach or have a successful coaching career like yours? Yeah, you know, there's got to be a, a massive passion for the game. You've got you you to love it and you've got to love it for, um, you know, all kinds of reasons. I was a, I was a, absolute junkie as a kid and I had Jordan pictures all over my wall and you know I'm out shooting you know with a light on the on the backboard and you know I just I just love the game I'd I'd send away for jump programs to you know do whatever I could to try and make myself a better player and I think you got to take that same mentality as a coach you know you um, are managing a team and your job is to provide them um, the opportunity to be their best player possible, to provide the opportunity for them to um, really take your job as a coach. You want to give as much information, as much preparation that uh, they, can, they can handle the situations without you calling time out. And probably one of my most satisfying um, moments in the game was when we're in New Zealand in a, in a semi-final series and Ty Wesley waves me off and says, we got it coach and I don't need to call a timeout. And we run a play for Josh Boone to get a layup that wins the semi-final yeah. series in New Zealand in overtime. And um, they're the kind of moments as a coach that you're like, well, you know, we got them to a point where they were prepared and they didn't need uh, me as a coach. So um, I think, you know, they're, they're the great moments, but uh, preparing to be a coach, you know, spend the time with your own teams Go through the juniors where you can really get a great grounding in the fundamentals. Um, find coaches that do things that you really like and would like to do some things similar to them and then find some coaches that do things totally, you know, different as well and so that you challenge your own thinking about, you know, what you really like and you'll keep chipping away at building your philosophy of how you like the game played and then you've got to be open enough as time goes along when you've been in it for a while like me that you've got to be 
continue and be able to adapt and change with the times and change with society and change with the, the way the game's being played as well. So, um, yeah, there's so many different ways to play it um, and to coach it. It's, it's nothing's wrong, but you've got to pick your own philosophy and really be strong with it and go with it. Thanks, Dean, for being on the Sporting Max podcast. It's been great to have you on. Thanks, mate. Enjoyed it. Um, yeah, hopefully we uh, get back out in the court fairly soon and we get this NBL season going and um, people can enjoy basketball uh, being back on TV again. Definitely. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max podcasts. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. Please like this episode and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and tune in. This episode was brought to you by Becker's Facilities, your one-stop shop for facility maintenance services.